Mac Power Users, episode 566, Paperless Strikes Back. Hello and welcome to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen. How are you today, buddy? I am good. I should say right off the bat, congratulations. This is uh, it's going to be fun. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I've been working on this new paperless field guide for about six months, and it's so happy to to ship it. Yeah, I um, you, you keep me up to date. You know, we kind of bounce ideas off each other off the air all the time, and I know you've been hard at work on this one, and then your issue with your iMac <laughs> kind of got in the way at the last minute, which I'm sure was frustrating. Yeah, it was kind of frustrating, <laughs> but hey, you know, whatever it takes. Uh, the uh, uh, Actually, it was kind of good because when the iMac fried, I was at the point where I thought it was terrible and I hated everything. Mm-hmm. And having a little break of a week and then coming back to it, I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty good. So you, oh, good. you know how you get in that point with a project where you hate it oh, at yeah. the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, almost every time I publish a YouTube video, by the time I hit publish, I hate it. It's like, ah, oh, just get it out of here, you know? <laughs> like. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. And if you go back and watch it in a week, you're like, oh, not bad. Yeah, nah, not too bad. Uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, so we were talking about uh, the paperless workflow. You have a new field guide that came out uh, several days ago. And this one's kind of special. Like, can we get sentimental for a second and talk about the background of this? Yeah, it was, you know, paperless was the first thing I did on my own. I did two books for Wiley Press. Uh, iPad at work and Mac at work. And that was cool, you know, going into the uh, bookstore and seeing your book on the shelf. But mm-hmm. I always felt like those books didn't have what I really wanted. I wanted to show people how to do things. And, you know, Wiley was, they were very nice to me, but they'd be like, okay, you get three screenshots to show this whole thing. And I'd like, that's not enough. But, you know, that's just the way it is. Um, so this first paperless field guide was uh, kind of a, a leap for me and it worked mm-hmm. and people liked it. And, uh, that year Apple gave it the best of the iBookstore award and it was kind of awesome, but I, uh, there was still a lot I wanted to cover that I never was able to kind of had the same limitation with the, um, with the iBookstore, the biggest size your book could be, would be two gigabytes. And, right. uh, so I had about 1.5 gigabytes of video in that. And then about a half a gig of the other stuff. And, you know, there was still a bunch of stuff I had to cut. But now that I'm doing these on my own as video guides, this one is seven gigabytes. So uh, seven <laughs> hours and seven gigabytes. So I basically I was able to just unload on paperless with this new version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really think that even maybe more so than some of your others, this shows the strength of the platform you're using now where you were always kind of fighting with iBooks author. And of course, in printed books, you can't have video. That's <laughs> That's a problem there. So it is uh, it is cool to see like you really flexing what this uh, what this new system can do for you. Yeah, it's it's great. It's 95 videos, about seven hours. And it just really gave me the space to cover everything the way I wanted. Like, like a good example, I was looking at it this morning in the original field guide. I had two pages on Dev and Think mm-hmm. and why it's a good solution for a paperless workflow. But it was really difficult to do a lot because I didn't have enough space in the book to add more. And in this new one, I have 15 hours of video using Devon thing for a paperless workflow. And it's just like, you couldn't do that before. And, um, that's kind of great, um, to be able to do that. So, and the, the other thing that's changed since the last time I did it is, you know, the emergence of the mobile platforms and mobile apps, 
So this field guide is really designed, and I've done this on the last several. It's got separate sections for the mobile versus Mac. Mm -hmm. And it tries to explain how to do all the workflows on both platforms. So say, well, maybe I want to do my capture with my iPhone, but I want to do my processing with my Mac. Or maybe I want to do the whole thing on my iPhone and my iPad. Um, there's a path for you through this course, no matter what platform you're on for each of the the tasks you want to do. And that was pretty great being able to put that together. Yeah, that really wasn't a thing in 2012, right? Like being able to scan documents with the phone. A, the yeah. cameras weren't nearly as good, but there really wasn't a lot of great software then. I didn't really thought about the difference between the first version of this and then this new version, but yeah, that's a big change for sure. Yeah, well, even like, one of the problems with the first time I covered paperless was in 2012, what you really needed to have a effective paperless workflow was a $400 scanner. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was just not a way around it. Right. And now you can do it with a $10 app. You don't need to buy a scanner. I cover scanners in it, but um, one of the big points that came out for me in making the course was you could get by. In fact, most people could get by without a scanner at this point. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I mean, we've got a flatbed scanner, but if it died, I, I, it's not something I would like rush out to go replace because most of the time, if I just need to scan a bill or a letter or something, I just pull out my phone and do it. Yeah, and, and in this case, case, I cover document scanners, and like if you need a document scanner, you know it. You know, if you're going through hundreds of pages a day or whatever. But if you get the occasional bill in the mail, just get an app. You're good. The other thing that's nice about this one was I, I've really kind of evolved the whole learn.mac Sparky course system. You know, I've got better at it over the years. And so like now on day one, everything is captioned, you know, closed caption. There's a transcript of every video in the in the video. There's downloadable materials. I, I spent a whole day writing Apple scripts about folder creation and I gave you all the scripts cool. in the course. Um the uh, the other thing I've done, people have been asking me, well, can you just give me a full transcript of the entire course? So I did that now. There's a PDF and an EPUB that is the whole course. I think it's like 145 pages or something. It, it's it's a lot of text. <laughs> no pictures. It's just the all the transcripts. And um, the other thing I do is I they're all downloadable, but now I make them. So I have combined downloads. And there's really 17 major sections in the course. So each section, you can download each section as a single download as opposed to downloading each individual course. So, And you can do that too, but you can either download all 95 videos or you can just download the 17 combined videos and you get the whole course. Or you can stream it. It's just, it's, I feel like really good. I, I feel like the uh, learned at Max Sparky platform has really kind of matured into something pretty great at this point. Well, yeah, it's especially with something like this with so many different sections, like having different ways to consume that content, have it local in your machine or that flexibility is just not something you had in the old iBooks author system. And of course now that's all basically gone. It's replaced with pages. I don't want to create a book like this ever again. My, my, I've published two books, but the second one that's on the Apple bookstore. Now I did an iBooks author and it was several years ago. And I remember just like talking with you it's like, man, this this is like really frustrating. And now I would imagine you can really focus on the content and not so much about like the, you know, squeezing it all into that limit or dealing with the rough edges of an application that Apple really didn't seem to care about. Yeah, yeah. And this is the first one I got to test out some rudimentary animation into. So I, the, 
I don't know. I, I'm really proud of this book. And I wanted the new paper list to be special because the first one was so special. So yeah. And I'm happy with it. I'm proud of it. Good. You should be. It's it's really fantastic. So uh, anything else kind of meta before we dive into this? So, okay. So the uh, the initial price is $24. The usual price is $29. But for a short time, we're going to have it down to $24. And that's the, uh, the intro price discount. There's no upgrade discount, but you do get that $5 discount. And the reason I can't do an upgrade is because it wasn't on this platform before and a bunch of copies were given away and yada yada but it's just really difficult for me to do upgrade so i'm sorry but i am giving you five dollars off if you buy it now so go get it um i i added some numbers and i thought that was kind of fun just for you know just laughs um i've tracked all my time on this one 170 hours of production 146 pages for the pdf epub file I bought five scanners. <laughs> Only two of them made it into the field guide. Three of them were just absolute garbage. You just have them stacked up in your office now? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, nice. No, I, I returned a couple of them. I knew like within two weeks that they were not going in the book and I just returned them because they were garbage. And I ended up keeping two of them, which I have um, kind of distributed among family. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Look, so if, if you get a scanner from, from David Sparks for Christmas, you know where it came from now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and honestly, the, like I said earlier, I'm not sure you really need one, but I did find a couple that I could recommend. Um, there's 30 plus apps that I bought for um, testing. Not Obviously, not all of them made it in and seven gigabytes of, uh, of file size, which was kind of fun to see that happen. But yeah. Yeah, I'm proud of it. Uh, go check it out. You can get it at learn.maxbarkey.com. And, um, or if you just go to maxbarkey.com, you see the little button on the right side. And like I said, that that entry price is for a short time. So go get it if you want it. And and I'd appreciate your support. But um, I'm, I'm really happy with it. But we're not going to spend the whole cor- uh, podcast today trying to shill my course. <laughs> the, uh, we're just going to talk paperless and well, the other thing is there's like a 45-minute free sample. So if you don't want to buy it, but you want to get some of the material out of it, 45 minutes, which is kind of funny. That's about how much video I had in the first edition. I'm giving that part away for free now. That's cool. So so let's talk at a at a broad level what the the main steps are for the the paperless workflow. Like what are the big big rocks? Yeah, it it hasn't changed. I mean, the uh the steps of an effective paperless l- workflow, I think, are are really four. You need to capture paper, and there's different kinds of capture, digital versus analog capture. You need to have a system to process and store it after you capture it. You need the ability to effectively edit it, and then you need the ability to share it. So those are the four steps, capture, process, edit, and share. And, you know, the while the steps haven't changed, a lot of the the tools and workflows have. So it's still the the same sort of overall flow. And I think I think it makes sense to have it kind of in those four big steps because each each one of those steps you have lots of options that we're going to go through of how you can make that work for you, different things you need to consider. And I think that having just these four steps and really the um really makes this a lot less daunting as one thing I really liked about that going through this guide is this doesn't feel overwhelming when you talk about, Hey, there's four things you do and let's just talk about each one separately. Yeah. And the interesting thing is there's multiple paths for each one. 
So we're going to talk through those uh, those four steps today. But first, let's take a break. How does that sound? Great. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to learn more, sign up for a free 30-day trial, and get 20% off. 1Password is the solution that I trust to store not only my passwords, but other sensitive data debit and credit card numbers, bank account numbers. I can't tell you how many times I need the routing information for Relay FM for my company. And I, it's in 1Password, safe and secure. And that means that if I'm on my iPhone or iPad, I can use Face ID to log in and get it. It means that if I'm in a situation where I'm on my MacBook Pro, I have Touch ID there. But, you know, I sit at a desktop Mac during the day. There's no Touch ID or Face ID here. But... The geniuses behind 1Password have released version 7.7, and it has what is definitely my favorite feature in 1Password in quite a while, unlocking 1Password with your Apple Watch. So if you wear an Apple Watch and you've used a Mac, you know, sometimes it'll ask you to double tap the side button on the watch to confirm Apple Pay or unlock a system preference pane. Now you can do that to unlock 1Password. So here in my Mac Pro running Catalina, if I sit down and I need to unlock one password, I can just double tap my watch and I'm in. No longer have to type my long, complex password. It feels magical. Other updates in one password 7.7 for the Mac include inline fill. So if you're in Safari and you click on a login form, you get a drop down right there with any logins that one password knows about. You select the right one and you're off on your way. If you've if you've used one uh, password on other browsers, one password ten x ten. I don't know which way you say it, David. One password ten slash x. Uh, it uses this interface, and I really. I, I think you, I think ten slash x is exactly. Right. I think that's right. Ten slash x. We're going to go with canonical. That. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it really makes logging into Safari feel much more streamlined and fast. I'm just a huge fan of this update, and of course, it comes with all the other stuff. One password is known for. So keeping your stuff safe and secure with strong encryption, adopting the latest technologies, being cross-platform, even on my PC, I've got one password there ready for me, all my passwords, wherever I go. They have plans for individuals, families, and companies. I use uh, the latter two at home and at work, and it's fantastic to be able to share logins and secure data with people that I work with or that I live with. So head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU to learn more. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial. And when you do, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU. Our thanks to 1Password for the support of the show. All right, you want to talk about Capture? Let's do it. I feel like Capture is the is one of the parts where you really have to stop and think before you start your paperless system. It's it's one of those areas where if you spend a little bit of time in advance kind of giving some thought to file formats and things like that, you can save yourself a ton of time on the back end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to give some thought to that. You know, what are the, for instance, the first question is, what is a, what is a digital document? You know, there's competing formats and um, like TIFF and PDF and others. And, and my conclusion is that the, the digital format that's going to be readable on a spaceship in a hundred years, if you had to pick one is PDF. 
I mean, digital documents as PDFs, I think, are here for a long time. I think you're totally right. I mean, it is the de facto standard when if anytime you need to send something like that's going to be cross platform or you don't want people to edit easily, you send a PDF, right? Like I, I'm sure sometimes I think about my company. I think all we like we just make MP3s and that's what we deliver. But imagine for you and your law practice, it, it probably feels like you just make a bunch of PDFs all the time. Like they're they're ubiquitous. Ultimately, it's a PDF. I mean, I I have a lot of of markdown files, a lot sure. of Word documents, and a lot of PDFs. But the uh, PDF is the product, you know. And Adobe was really smart. I mean, they came up with the PDF format. They built their own custom tool set, so they kind of got to the point where they own the format. But then they opened the format so other people can address it and build apps mm-hmm. for it. So then, I think that's what was the trick of its ubiquity and and why that happened. But even then, all PDF is not created equal, and I kind of explained that in course. But, I mean, there's a PDF A archive format, and there's different file sizes. Different apps create different size PDFs. And um, all that stuff is things you need to think about. But for me, really, I think the starting point is, all right, how do I turn this digital and analog pieces of paper into PDFs? That I mean, that's the fundamental unit of your paperless system. Right. It's it's how something goes from the physical world to the digital one. It's this step. Yeah. And and then the next step or the next kind of preliminary thought is about optical character recognition because OCR used to be a big deal and now it's not. You know, it used to be like if I want to add OCR, it's going to take extra time because the OCR software is not very good. And I have to go through and figure out, was this an L or was this an I or, you know, whatever. And it, it just was super time intensive in the early days. And then the other problem with storage, you know, was much smaller back then. And you added an OCR layer to your document, your documents got bigger and suddenly you had the storage burden. And even though we're kind of making this SSD transition, the amount of data these days that is added by doing OCR is trivial and the software is so much better that no longer do you have to go through and check it. It, it just does a good job. And, and more than that, I mean, OCR now is not just like, and I cover like Abby fine reader that, you know, the, the, um, the heroic OCR app, but yeah. also like, you know, if you just own PDF pen, it does it right. Or if you have some of these scanning apps on your phone, they just scan the document and do the OCR layer. So I have to kind of go through and explain the element of that because one of the great things of a paperless system is you can search for a needle in a haystack if you do OCR. Yeah, and so what OCR does is it basically makes a PDF from like a flat image to where you can look at all of the the text in it. This is highly useful for me. We spoke about this before, how I use DevonThink where I'm using this OCR layer on top of, you know, tens of thousands of PDFs at this point. It just means I can just search them really quickly. It is that needle in a haystack. And I have found that I have never regretted creating a PDF or updating a PDF with OCR information because it is so, so useful. I mean, even if you're just storing stuff in Finder, it's available to Spotlight, right? Like it's, it's just, you've got to do this step as soon as you have more than about three PDFs, you're going to wish you had done it. Yeah. I mean, I have all these lawyer war stories, but you know, what lawyers do to each other is, is really ridiculous sometimes. And I had cases I've litigated in the past where the other side would send me like 40 boxes of documents 
when you sue somebody, you can ask for documents, right? And I always would try to tailor my request so I get the documents I need and not a bunch of junk. But one of the tricks lawyers will do is they'll give you the documents you asked for, but they'll bury them. Like they'll give you 40 boxes and the one you want is in the middle of box 23. And you Mm -hmm. have no idea how you're going to get there, right? And so I would send them out and get them OCR'd because I'm not going to scan 40 boxes, but you, you know, their services. In fact, I talk about that in the book, how you can hire somebody to do this for you. But anyway, you, you scan all the boxes, and then you do a regular expression search of the OCR file for the whole thing. And you can do that in an app like BB Edit. You can throw anything at BB Edit. And, um, and you would magically find the document in about a half hour, as opposed to having to read 40 boxes worth of documents. And um, that OCR, it all comes down to the OCR. So that that's something you want to do now. Another thing that I think is important for a paperless system is a naming convention. And I covered this in the first book, but it's evolved since you know 2012 for me. And I still use a lot of the same stuff. Like I, I still believe in a uh, putting a date in the document name. And I get that you know the, the the files have dates attached to them, but a lot of times the scan date isn't the same date as the, the actual document date. And uh, so I still put the date in. I still put a description, but I have a bunch of other like stuff I add on if it's like a revision or a version number and you know different ways um, you can add on to a naming convention. And I cover all that too. A bunch of uh, underscore final final version two. That's, that's probably not a good system. No, 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 no. That's, Don't do that. <laughs> that that's, that is the road to madness. The trick is actually just adding a date. You know, like like when it comes to something where I'm working with other people, I just put in parentheses DWS and the date. And so there's no version numbering. It's just a date. And you can always tell what's the most recent one by looking at who made it and what the date is. There's more to it, but, you know, you get the idea. Yeah. Do you add dates, strings to your file names? Uh, for some stuff, stuff like what you're talking about, where I'm I'm going back and forth, that's how I do it. When I stored all of my photos in Finder before I moved to iPho- iPhoto or iPhoto, jeez, I've done this thing recently where I keep calling things their old name. On Connected, I called messages iChat, and then <laughs> in a text some, to somebody earlier, instead of uh, iPhone, I wrote iPod. I, my brain is stuck in like 2005, but. Yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> When I stored all my photos just in Finder, I did that as well. And it's it's really helpful because it sorts really nicely. So you can you go into column view or if you're in something like Dev and Think or, or whatever, just sort alphabetically. And then they're actually sorted by date if they're at the beginning. But if they're at the end, also really easy to search for. Yeah, that's a great, um, that's a great trick. And I actually do it with Text Expander. So I have a couple of different snippets for different date formats that I may need in different situations. So yeah. I, I mean, I even know what the date is, but Text Expander does, and it lets me have a repeatable system in the future. Yeah, I, I do that with all my MacWrite files too. <laughs> Hazel's got a cool trick where it will look at the document and pull a date out of the document, and then you can use that in the name of the document. It doesn't always work, but when it does, it's like magic. Well, that's cool. So if you if you scanned a bunch of bills for instance it could yeah figure out when they were from yeah there's a new version of hazel we haven't mentioned on the show they came out with a brand new version for big sur and it's no longer a preference it's an app which i think is better it is better everybody's emailing me saying what are you going to upgrade the uh hazel field guide for this i'm not sure what i'm going to do yet it i 
it's a it's a whole new interface, so I'm not sure if I have to make a new field guide or what. I I put that whole decision off until after I ship paper. Yeah. So <laughs> hang in there with me, guys. Stop writing me. I'll get there. I promise. Yeah. Well, that sort of automation makes capture a lot less of a hill to overcome, I guess. So if you're starting yeah. from zero and you have a bunch of existing stuff you want to bring into a system, these sorts of tools let you do that more easily, right? If you can use Hazel or something else to name these, then you're not having to go through, you know, five years of, you know, insurance payments and date them all manually, right? If you can automate it, it makes the inboarding much, much easier, much, I think, much less daunting, if you will. Much less painful. Yeah. But once you kind of make big decisions about, you know, what you're going to name them and, you know, the formatting stuff, then you've got to like figure out your tools. And this is something where you can do it easily on the Mac or the iPhone and iPad. Um, it's easiest on the Mac, frankly, because the Mac has the print to PDF trick. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I should break that up. There's really two kinds of capture. There's paper capture and there's digital capture. So digital capture means you get stuff on your computer that isn't a PDF file, but you want to save it as a digital document. The The most common example is an email. And with a, with a Mac, anytime you hit the print dialog box, there's a little thing at the bottom that says, you know, save as PDF. And if you click that, then you save anything as a PDF. And you can do that from any app that has a print dialog box. It's one of the nicest features on the Mac. Um, and people who like come from PC to Mac write me all the time. They're like, I can't believe this is here because on the PC, that is like a major project to get a PDF out of something. Um, so that's the easiest way. I like, I have this, a famous print to PDF trick where I, I use a keyboard shortcut where you can even, you know, accelerate that process faster. Um, digital capture on iPhone and iPad. It just depends on what you're doing. Um, you can, a lot of apps have built in, you know, save to PDF tools. Apple mail famously does not. Um, so the way you do it on an iPhone or an iPad is completely nuts. You, you hit the print button, like you're going to print it, but then you do a reverse pinch and that gives you a sharing button where you can share it as a PDF. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. I feel like there's like a room at Apple where they're doing experiments on people and they're like, let's just do this monkey test on our users and see what happens. Mm-hmm. How many people actually figure it out? Yeah. I explain all of that. And then, then there's the idea of analog capture, you know, and that is the mail that shows up on your doorstep or, you know, when you go get your estate plan made and you want to make a, you know, save copy of your will or your taxes or, you know, anything else that's important. Um, and that's the one we were kind of mentioning earlier. I mean, h- historically, you'd buy a fancy scanner. And there are some good scanners out there. I mentioned a couple of them and, and cover them in the uh, video. In fact, I wanted to get your feedback on my video of those scanners. I tried to, like, up my game. But you're the video guy, so I have to uh, I have to find out what you think about that maybe okay. later. Maybe <laughs> offline. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, so you've got those, you know, document scanners you can buy that'll do it for you. But there's this rich um, assortment of apps now on iPhone and iPad. And you've got this amazing camera on iPhone and iPad. And really, the only barrier is just kind of making sure it's something you can keep flat. But other than that, it is really fast to scan stuff with your phone now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I, I started doing that years ago with an app called ScanBot, which is still around, but now there's uh, there are a lot of other options 
as well. In fact, I think ScanBot now is basically a SDK to put in other things. Like they've they've really done a lot with their technology. But uh, what did you find that worked? They've changed their name. It's ScanPro Plus now. ScanPro Plus. Got it. It used to be ScanBot or ScanPro Plus. In fact, I cannot, just like you can't stop think, calling things only when I recorded that video, I called it ScanBot like six times. I had to re-record the audio on that video like twice. Because I couldn't <laughs> get my, I could not get it straight in my head. But yeah, ScanPro Plus, and it's, it's still out there. And honestly, I think it's my favorite because they use a token system. Like when you scan something, it can look at your location. It has a token for the date and just it's a really smart scanning app and it's got OCR built in and that's the one I, I that's my go-to but I also covered scanner pro which is another one that has like built-in workflows and if you don't want to spend any money Apple notes does a really good job scanning documents in fact they use the perspective shift so when if you don't get it completely square it squares up the document really nicely there's a there's a lot of ways to capture with your iPhone and iPad yeah, I was glad when Apple added that to Apple Notes. It just seems like a really good addition uh, to that that application. I don't think, and we'll, I guess we'll talk about this. I, I want to know what you think about Apple Notes as a end game for for your paperless workflow. But the this, it's I mean, not, yeah, it's not. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, it's not covered. It's not even covered that way in this field guide because yeah, I don't. just think it's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, don't don't do that. I agree with you. Uh, but for quick stuff, it's it's absolutely fantastic. And, and another thing people don't realize is, you know, the iPad camera is usually one generation behind the iPhone. But, mm-hmm. you know, one generation ago, the iPhone camera was perfectly adequate for scanning documents. So um, I find myself scanning documents quite often with my iPad because I'm usually like working on things, like kind of doing worky work, holding my iPad. So why not just scan this? And it, it really flips out other lawyers. Like I'll go to their office and we're reviewing something together and I'll just reach over and scan it with ScanBot. <laughs> you know, it's like, I did it again. Scan Pro Plus. I, I look at it with Scan Pro Plus and I just shoot a picture of it right there while it's on his desk. And it's like, wait, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> you <know? laughs> but I mean, why not? Right. Um, so, and then you've got a full size that you can mark up and and do some stuff with it as well. But Yeah. Uh, capture I, with the iPad and iPhone is totally a thing now. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool because it's again it's something that's always with you, right? So something that I used to always struggle with is if I took if I was especially traveling and I had like a business expense, right? It's like, well, I don't want to hold on to it and scan it when I get home, so I would just take pictures of it, like and they'd be in my camera roll, then have to deal with them. But now you can just make a PDF and stick it somewhere, or send it somewhere, and keep going about your day and not have to worry about, oh gosh, you know, where is that receipt that I left four states over? Yeah. When I go to conferences, I mean, back when that was a thing that we did. I remember those. Um, I will just at the end of the day, any paper I picked up, I, I would, you know, be jammed in my pocket or my bag or whatever. I would, at the end of the day, scan it right on the the hotel desk and just push it into the trash right from there and it's just great going home having it and the nice thing about scanning is like i'll meet somebody and they're like oh here's somebody that might be a good guest on mac power users and they give me their card i scan the card i save it to an OmniFocus task and like everything is processed mm-hmm. and i don't even have to think about it anymore and i go home with no paper and that is a beautiful thing indeed 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile Software. Head over to textexpander.com slash podcast to get 20% off. So we're heading into the new year. It's time to get ahead with your productivity, and I recommend doing that with Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. So you could say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling, and message errors, and try to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing with just a few keystrokes. Better than copy and paste and better than scripts and templates, Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Take your time back in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. And best of all, show listeners get 20% off of their first year. We've talked about Text Expander in this episode because it's a key to a paperless workflow, but it's also just kind of a key to holding things together. One of my favorite Text Expander snippets is directions to my home. When someone's going to come visit me, I just type in a few keystrokes and they can get to my house and not get lost. Uh, there's just so many ways to use it. It's it's really the way to get started with automation. Anybody can do it super easy. It saves you time immediately. So once again, that's textexpander.com slash podcast. Get 20% off and let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. Thanks, Text Expander. So up next, we have process and store. So we've yeah. scanned our PDFs either with our phones or with a real scanner. What happens next? Yeah, I mean, where do you put it and how do you find it? Right. And, you know, again, since 2012, this has really changed a lot. Um, the cloud services are so much more reliable now, and there's more of them to choose from. Um, so, you know, the one of the easiest ways you can manage this is just the, you know, the traditional nested folder system on some sort of cloud storage so you can access them on all your devices. And, and frankly, you don't even need to put them in cloud storage. You could also just put them on your Mac's hard drive if you don't want them on the internet. You know, if you, you're concerned you have something in there confidential. Like some of my legal stuff just goes on my Mac. It doesn't go into the cloud. But but where I can, uh, ideally, you put as much as you can into the cloud because then you can access it on your phone, your iPad, and your other Macs. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's the really the easiest way. There's a bunch of things I like about that. Um the first is that, you know, it's just there. Uh, the second is that you can, it's very portable. Like if you decide in two years that you're tired of Apple and you want to go over to switch to a Windows computer and an Android device, those nested folders are going to copy over just fine. And the PDF format is just as available on those platforms. So you're not locked in anywhere. And for most people, that's that's enough. Do you have any any thoughts or advice on things that maybe are, are sensitive in nature that you necessarily would not put on iCloud or Dropbox? Yeah, I do. Um, well, I guess there's there's multiple layers here. There's certain stuff that just doesn't go up. Like if I have, let's pretend I represent Kentucky Fried Chicken and they give me the secret, seven secret herbs and spices mm-hmm. for their chicken. And that doesn't go up in the cloud at all. That just goes into a, an encrypted section of my local drive. Right. And, I mean, as a lawyer, I frankly try to keep as little of that information as possible. It's like, I don't need the seven, seven secret herbs and spices. Don't give them to me, you know? Uh, but to the extent I get stuff like that, 
that doesn't go up in the cloud. But then another option is if you want kind of a middle ground, you can create an encrypted sparse disk image on your computer and save that to the cloud. And that is basically like a container that, um, that can go on the cloud, but you need a password to open it and you lose a bunch of advantages. You can't search it and you know, it's just not as convenient, but it is a way to have portable documents that are locked up in their own separate encrypted portion. So if someone were to break into your iCloud storage and they got that encrypted storage, they would still have to break through that to get to the file. I explain all, I, I actually give a demonstration how to do this in the course, but there's different levels of this stuff. But I also feel I'm not as paranoid as um, like, you know, for my, my utility bills and a lot of the typical paperless stuff that a lot of us have, I don't have any problem putting that stuff on the cloud. Sure. Yeah, and, and people will feel differently about different things. I mean, I may be a little less worried about that than some people, but I have both my iCloud and Dropbox accounts protected by two-factor authentication. So I feel like that gives me a layer of security I wouldn't have otherwise. People have yeah. to make that decision for themselves. But even then, there's definitely stuff that's like only locally on this computer. And then I guess on my offsite backup, if you could find that, you would have it. But it's... uh you know, things like tax returns, for instance, those are just here, right? I don't, I don't want those on Dropbox. Although the, uh, doing the, uh, like a disk image or something on Dropbox is, uh, I think in my future after, after going through this. Yeah. And then you've got third party apps that do this for you. And I went back and looked at some of the third party apps I covered in prior and prior versions of the paperless field guide. And I was surprised some of them were just abandoned and so, you know, I was disappointed and I realized that for any future recommendation, I am only going to recommend a third-party organization tool that has a lock solid export mechanism. Yes. I want to be able to get to that exact same list of nested folders. And so I went on an app buying spree and I bought a bunch of apps and I was exporting and like, like I had a whole section outlined on Evernote. I mean, I shot probably 20 minutes of video in Evernote. And at the end of it, I just cut it entirely out of the field guide because Evernote's export is still dog poop. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just terrible. And it's like, I don't understand how a company that big never figured this out. And, and maybe it's their underlying technology doesn't allow for it or whatever, but I cannot recommend you put anything in Evernote. And I know there's people listening to this that love Evernote, but you know, you are not going to get your stuff out of there very easily. And I just, I'm not going to recommend somebody do that. So ultimately I, instead of having short videos on a bunch of products, I went deep on DevonThink and DevonThink was a sponsor of the show, but they sponsored us long after I put them in this field guide and it has no relationship. So, you know, just so you're, we're clear. Uh, the reason DevonThink got in is because they have artificial intelligence and app that makes organizing documents easier. And, to export your documents out of DevonThink, you literally drag a directory onto your desktop and everything is exported. And that is exactly, you know, to me, the condition if you're going to use a third-party app to do this stuff. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's that's one reason I left Evernote behind years ago. And when I did, it was painful, right? Because getting stuff out, the formatting and everything uh, was was tricky. And 
I guess you could say I had that problem about Apple Notes, but I also don't use Apple Notes for my like research body of work. That is in DevonThink for these reasons. Easy to get in, easy to get out, and while it's there for however many years it is, the for me at least, the searching and OCR functionality is what what keeps me there. And it is DevonThinks is the best tool I've used for this. And I've looked at almost everything, just like you have especially as you get bigger and bigger collections of these things, DevonThink will just take what you give it. I mean, I've got almost, well, let's just see. I have, um, I mean, 92 gigabytes of stuff in DevonThink, and it doesn't care. It just opens and works as smooth as if I had five PDFs in there. It's incredible. And it really depends on what you're doing. Like for a typical paperless workflow of storing utility bills and some <laughs> personal documents, you're not going to have 90 Devin gigs. Is overkill, you know. <laughs> but I mean, for for most people, a a nested folder system on a cloud storage is going to be all you need. Yes. Um, but like all my legal stuff goes into DevonThink because it gives me the ability to analyze stuff against it, each other. I mean, all the DevonThink tools come into um, into power here. And another really cool trick that you can do with Dev and Think, which isn't entirely related to paperless, but sort of, is you can create a URL link to any document in Dev and Think, and you can't do that to your Dropbox or your um, your iCloud folder. Uh, so uh, with Dev and Think, you can get like a a very quick way to get back at that thing later, and if it's something you're working on. So so there there's a lot of content in there about how how do you do this without any third-party app and if you're going to use a third-party app i go in deep with dev and think on both mac and iphone and ipad so you can see how it works and these are great solutions and i'm i'm convinced that you know the next time i come back to do a paperless field guide dev and think is still going to be there and like i i feel bad with the first one that i might have pushed people into app systems that ecosystems that, that didn't last and created more work for them and I'm very conscious of that with this new version. I don't want to do that again. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, so anyway, you store it. Um, then there's a lot of discussion throughout the field guide. And just kind of in a paperless system, is, is, is folders enough? Do you need to like add additional criteria like tags? What do, you, do you do that? Do you use tags at all with your documents? I don't use tags anywhere in any system. It's, it's just yeah. my brain doesn't doesn't really work that way. Now, something like in DevonThink, which is like my research library, again, it's not really what we're talking about as the topic today. I definitely have documents that could overlap like multiple things, but that's where it's sort of the structure I have plus search can get me to where I need. But uh, I know that a lot of people do like tags. Uh, one thing that I one reason I don't like them is that they're sort of they can be if you if you don't tend them can be messy and that just doesn't that just don't work for me. Yeah, well, I I I'm kind of hybrid. Nested folders are the starting point for me, but I do kind of tactically use tags. Like for instance, yesterday I was writing a trade secret agreement for a client, and I've written several of them over the years, and each one gets the trade secret agreement tag. Now, I wouldn't keep a folder with all the trade secret agreements I've ever written together. The the trade secret agreements are in the client folders. But um, being able to search that tag gave me, you know, the 15 of these things I've written over the last 10 years um, that I could go look at to, like, reference things I'd done in the past or how I'd solved a problem. Um, so, you know, that's the whole idea of tags is it gives you multiple indexes of the same file set. 
And I think this absolutely can make sense in a paperless system. And one of the things I like about tags in a paperless system, if you're using some of the automation tools I recommend, is you get them for free. Mm-hmm. You know, If you're using Hazel to do your filing for you, you can add an additional step that just adds tags to your file names. And they're there and you don't even have to think about them, but you can always search them if you want. So it just depends. I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. And I know a lot of people that just don't do tags at all. And in fairness, Apple has been so kind of like fits and starts of tag support. You know, like yeah. they, you know, at one point they were, in fact, the last time I did the paperless field guide, you had to go into an info window and like create them yourself. Now they actually have a tagging system, but it's only implemented halfway on the iPhone and iPad, as I keep talking about on the show. So I, I get it. You know, it's like, do I really want to invest time and effort into a system that the manufacturer doesn't seem entirely sold on? Um, but, you know, if you get them for free, why not? I mean, the whole idea of all this organization stuff is you want to put the least amount of effort in the front end and get the most bang for your buck at the back end. We talk about this in relation to photos. It's the same thing as true for documents. And if you get tags for free, why not? So we've talked about the the idea of nested folders and using those with tags, using them without tags. But when it comes to automating some of that, like do I have to make, make a folder and then make a folder for January, February, March, April? Like how much can I automate some of this? Yeah, it depends on the automation tool set you want. Um, one of the things I've been wanting to do, you know, sometimes making these field guides for me is like my own little journey <laughs> is <laughs> get a better automation system for creating nested folders on my Mac. You know, when I get a new client, there's this, this group of folders that I have and, um, and, you know, I find myself creating them manually as I go along and that's really not that efficient. Um, I tried to do it in Keyboard Maestro, but I wasn't getting consistent results. And, you know, Automator is really, you know, rough sometimes. That, that This should be something you can do with Automator, no problem. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I just decided to write an Apple script. And I think I've got like five different scripts on that video that you can download. But I, I, I cracked the nut and figured out the best way to do this. And so with a very simple Apple script, you can script the folder creation, even with subfolders and subfolders and subfolders. And like I added a, a selection box where you can say, where, where is this folder going to be located? The one I actually made for myself, it's always going to go into the client folder. So I don't need to do the selection. And I made that version too. But if you wanted to like decide where it goes, but ultimately the best way to create a set of nested folders on your Mac, I decided was a simple Apple script. And then, I sent it off to Sal Segoy and I said, Sal, is there an easier way to do this? And he's like, nope, that's about as good as it's going to get. <laughs> does that make you feel good and bad at the same time? <laughs> yeah, it kind of does, honestly. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but yeah, I mean, so you can automate that stuff. You can also automate folder creation. Like uh, Hazel does a really cool trick where when you're saving things, and I do this in a lot of my utility type stuff, it's it it has a step called save to subfolder and you can set the subfolder to like by month so if you get a but or by year so like if you only get a couple things a year you just do it by year but if you get stuff multiple things every month you do it by month and and then hazel will actually create the folder if it doesn't already exist so that that's another way to kind of scratch that itch but yeah there is some automation involved the other thing that i did automation wise in this section was um I talked a lot 
on this show about how rough it is finding and applying tags to files on iOS. And I actually wrote a shortcut to do it now. So um, there's a shortcut. So I just, I, I program my way around it. Such is life on iOS sometimes. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint. Finding new podcasts is always fun. It's fun to go exploring in different directories and seeing what people recommend. If you're looking for something, the IntraZone is a biweekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related technologies can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how SharePoint and other Microsoft tools fit into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each episode covers segments like news and announcements, a focused topic for the week, guest perspectives, FAQs, and much more. One uh, previous episode uh, came out last month is about Stanley Black & Decker, this big company, and they recently moved nine terabytes of internal data from an older system to SharePoint in Microsoft 365. Uh, they have almost 10, almost 9,500 users of this content. And you can hear about how you go about moving something like, like that. How do you preserve all the metadata and the structure around that large of a collection of stuff? It was really, really fascinating. It's much more than just like getting a jump drive, putting it in one server, and then putting it in the other. It takes a lot more work than that. So go and listen, search the intro zone wherever you get your podcast. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, or click the link in the show notes to check it out. Our thanks to the intro zone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of the show and Relay FM. There's a whole other section in the course about editing these PDFs. So let's say you've got them captured and you've got them stored. Well, you know, just like you used to get your red pen out and write on PDFs or physical paper, uh, you can do the same thing with PDFs, but there's like a rich assortment of tools. And this is one section that I was able to really just kind of let loose where I couldn't the first time I did because of space constraints. So I really enjoyed making this section, showing off some of the really remarkable editing applications on Mac and iPhone and iPad. What are some common editing tasks that people may want to, to get done with this? I think the thing that most people think of off the bat is I need to sign something. But yeah. there's a lot more than that. Well, I mean, that obviously, uh, almost all these tools have a signature tool. And um, some of them store your signature for you. Some of them, like, use an Apple Pencil. You can just sign the document right there. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to skin that cat. But almost every tool has some kind of signature. Another one that a lot of people want to do is annotate things. And, like, even just, like, if I'm sending something to my accountant that I, a receipt for something I bought, I may, I may circle the price paid and, you know, may, maybe make a reference to what, why I spent this money for the company, something like that. Um, and all of that stuff is really easy to do on the iPad in general. And specifically, they've got a built-in text annotation tool now, uh, or not text, but just like pencil annotation tool that you can overlay on any PDF. And you can do the annotation without buying any third-party apps and get most of what you need for that. It's got a highlighter. It's got a pencil support so you can sign it. It's got a way you can circle things. And um, I did a whole video on just using the built-in tools because for a lot of people, that's all you're ever going to need. 
in thinking about how things have changed from the when you started this and now this new version, the Apple Pencil is almost top of mind for me. We talked about how using an iPhone or an iPad as a scanner has gotten a lot better. But I would imagine for a lot of people, the Apple Pencil can be a real game changer in this, right? Because you're literally just writing over pages and taking notes as if it were actual paper. Yeah, I mean, for me, by far, the iPad is the ideal platform for reviewing and editing digital documents. I mean, I, I mean, my, my little personal journey was when I first started being a lawyer a long time ago, there were no digital documents, you know, you, <laughs> you, you'd have a piece of paper printed or someone would give you a pile of paper and you would get a yellow highlighter and a green highlighter and a red pen. And I'd have this stack of pens on my desk and I would read the document and do those annotations. But so often those annotations got thrown away or lost in filing or whatever. And, you know, you, you lost the benefit of them after you were done with them. So digital annotation, I think, is far superior in the sense that, you know, it's a permanent thing. You can keep versions of it and use all my name tricks to have version histories of your annotations. And most of, you know, even the built-in thing, like I said, does the basic annotation stuff. But with some of the, the more sophisticated apps, you can do redaction and Bates numbering and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. And all that stuff is just, for me, the best on the iPad. Sitting at a, a Mac or any computer and using a mouse to highlight versus using a pencil on an iPad, it's just an inferior experience. It really makes me want Apple Pencil support on a Mac somehow. It's like make that big old trackpad an <laughs> a Apple Pencil uh, platform, but we're not there yet, I guess. Well, well, I mean, maybe we, you know, we keep talking about the theoretical touchscreen Apple Silicon MacBook. And if they did that, why not put pencil support in? But honestly, even then, it still would not be as good as an iPad. I mean, yeah. uh, when I sit down with the iPad, and I actually made a video kind of showing how I annotate stuff, uh, kind of my own workflow on it at the end. But, you know, I, I'll open up drafts and dictate notes into drafts while I'm highlighting. So, like, on, just imagine, like, a large-size iPad, two-thirds of the screen is your PDF, one-third is your draft dictation, and I can just say, you know, 1.1, I disagree with this, you know, jurisdiction clause. We need to fight back, blah, blah, blah. And then I just like rip through the document with the pencil in my voice. And by the end, I have an email I can send to the client with a highlighted document and all my thoughts on it. And that's something I do every day. Yeah, that's really cool. I feel like I miss out on some of your best nerdy workflow stuff because like Mac Power Users is a collection of Google documents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, the next show that I take the outline on, I'll send you a PDF for you to annotate and I can get a taste of what this is like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll be fun. Just make this way more work than it needs to be. I, I, I keep tempting you. I say, let's try this other tool. And you're always like, nope. Oh, I know. Google Docs. Google Docs are bust. <laughs> Uh, so you, ha you have something in your edit section that I have, I have heard these words and you don't have to get into it deeply, but for people who do care, what is Bates numbering and how does that help you organize things? Yeah. Bates numbering is a, so a Bates stamp was a product made by the Bates company. You know, it literally was made by Bates and I used to have one in my desk when I first started practicing law. It's a special stamp 
that has a bunch of gears and levers inside of it. So every time you stamp it, it advances by a number of one. Okay. Oh yeah. Look at this thing. Wow. So like if you stamp, if I have 10 pages and I stamp each page, it's going to say be numbered one through 10. And the problem with lawyers is we send big boxes of documents to the other side. And how do you say, you know, I want, and we're on the phone together talking about it. I'm like, well, I want to look at that document in about the middle of the third box. You know, you can't say that, right? <laughs> so, so you say, I want to look at document number 10538, you know, and that's bait stamps is, is a different number for each page. Um, a lot of times you'll preface it with a string. Like if you represent, if I represent Acme company and you represent Wiley Coyote, Mm-hmm. You know, mine will say Acme. Mine will say Acme at the beginning. So you say, let's look at document Acme 532. And that's the 532nd document that Acme had. And um, so that's the bait stamp. That's all it is. It's just a, a way when you've got a big pile of documents to find them and you make sure that there's no missing Bates numbers. So, you know, everything got produced. It's just kind of a document audit system. Okay. But like apps like PDF Pen just do that for you. Like you don't have to get the fancy stamp and stamp the pages. They digitally do it for you. So that's the bait stamp. Redaction is another thing I cover. And there's like a famous case a few years ago where one of the federal courts released a, a decision where there were sections of it that had, I think it was like national security implications or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they needed to redact sections of the decision. so, So the public couldn't see this secret stuff, but the guy in the court, was a bozo and all he did was draw a black box over the PDF over the text in the PDF app, you know, and then they released it and some smart reporter took the PDF file, tapped on the black box and pressed the delete button to delete the black box. (laughs) (laughs) And it was all there, you know, whereas um, a redaction is it literally zeros out the file and draws all white pixels or all black pixels over it. And, there is no coming back from it. So it's gone. Like when I send documents that have a client's social security number in it, I will redact that and it's out. And so I, I cover that stuff too. A lot of people don't need that, but it's it's there. And I, I cover some of the, I think what I think are the better apps for doing this stuff in. And, uh, and I kind of like, kind of just go a little crazy in each one showing how you can pull off all these tricks using these various apps on the Mac, the iPhone, and the iPad. In your uh, workflow, how often, or I guess what percentage of PDF, let's take the legal stuff out of it maybe, someone who's going to just clean up their the paperwork that comes to their house, into their household, or, or yeah. into their small business, how often is that stuff actually edited versus just the first couple of steps of capturing it and then process and storing it? Yeah, I mean, for those people, preview the built-in PDF editor is all you need, mm-hmm. and you're good. Yeah, it's it's like on iOS. I mean, these built-in tools are good. Uh, I use them. In fact, that's how I sign PDFs. I have my signature saved in preview on on my Macs, and I can just yeah. drop my signature in and send something back to somebody. This is definitely an area where overlooking the first-party stuff, uh, like you should check it out because it may meet a lot of your needs, if not all of them. Yeah, I was I was indulgent in this section of the course, honestly. <laughs> hey, that's cool. I mean, look, we all love good apps. I mean, that's yeah. That's, I got I can't judge that at all. 
And I did one, um, I covered one app that is super indulgent for, in fact, I think I said in the video, I'm like, this video has no business in a paperless course, <laughs> but I want to share this app with you anyway. And, and it was liquid text. Oh liquid boy. Text. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me started, but that that's an amazing app for researchers. It's really cool. So the, the last step in this workflow is sharing files, sharing data out of the system with others. What are your thoughts on that? I just, you know, that is something that's a lot easier than it used to be, but it still needs some explanation. And um, there's a lot of ways now to share PDF files and, you know, and there's different ways to share PDF files. Like with your, um, with your spouse, maybe you'll share a single PDF of something that came in the mail that you want him or her to see. With your accountant, maybe you want to share an entire folder of documents that are all the receipts you received in the year for expenses or, you know, whatever. And um, so you've just got to kind of think through how you want to share and what volume of sharing you're going to do. And that also kind of relates to whatever your your storage mechanism is. The way you share out of DevonThink is different the way you share a Dropbox folder. And so, you know, it's just like everything else in a paperless workflow. It, you have to be deliberate about it, but once you make decisions, it's it's really easy. So I guess if you're using a a cloud service, you get some of this for free, right? Like I yeah. could have a shared folder, and we just all have access to it. If you're doing something in an application or locally on your Mac, I guess the steps a little bit more separated, if you will. Yeah. But there's there's so many you know, like Apple has added a sharing button to to Mac, iPhone, and iPad. So, you know, the one-off sharing is really easy. You hit the little square with the arrow poking out of it, and and choose your, whether you're going to send it as a message or as an email or whatever, and off it goes. Um, the more advanced stuff is really the the cloud services because you can share a folder out of iCloud and Dropbox, but that's not the end of the story. There's a whole bunch of decisions you need to make. Can the person edit them? Can they, you know? different things, you know, rights and privileges that come with that shared folder. And you got to just figure out what makes sense for you. Another thing I cover in the field guide that I think should be part of any paperless system is a backup. You know, um, mm. if you're going to put all your digital stuff on a computer, you've got to have a backup system in place. Um, this is like one step below photos. I think photos is the most important backup, but this is just one step below that. And the good news is digital documents are not as big as photos, so it's an even easier problem to solve. Like we have, um, we just got evacuated again last week. I didn't get into it, <laughs> but Bonfire also yeah. came to my house. Yeah, so you, you texted there we go. me, and you're like, oh, we got to leave again. <laughs> oh, man. It's like, I, I mean, California is a big state. How come both? <laughs> wildfires <laughs> came to my house Stephen. they they were looking for help with their paperless workflows I, I, this one was closer but it, we were safer because the last fire a month and a half ago burned up all the fuel between my house and where it was so that was good <laughs> yes is that good is that that's a weird way to say it <laughs> but uh anyway so but i have a thumb drive with key documents on it and, and obviously when we evacuated i took the the big drive but I also have like a thumb drive with key documents. Like what if I need to get a hold of insurance people and things in the mm -hmm. middle of the night, you know, what do I need to have? And um, so like with PDF documents, this is very easy and you can fold it into an existing backup system 
But um, just like photos, I recommend you have a lot of copies of these things. And, and that's the great part of it is the copies are free. I mean, when my mom and dad died and I went to their house, one of the was cleaning their house. They had a cabinet in the garage that had a cardboard box in it with all their documents. Like, like I don't know why they put it in the garage, Stephen. It was like, you know, my dad's Korean War discharge papers were in the garage. I mean, <laughs> sounds like a weird place. Yeah, exactly. But if the garage burned down, that stuff's all gone. Right. And um, uh, with a paperless system, that doesn't have to be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I cover. Number one, you should have backup and yes. to cover it. And yeah. I would add that a syncing system is not a backup. They're not backed up just because they happen to be on Dropbox. You want them on Time Machine, Backblaze, wherever else is appropriate. Yeah. And, and another question people always ask is, well, what do I actually keep as a digital document? You know, and it's a hard question to answer because every country has different rules, but you know, generally keep your tax records and keep your estate plan. Anything that somebody may need to see someday, you keep a copy of it. Mm-hmm. Do you need to keep your 10 year old gas bill? No, you don't, but they're so small at the same point. It's almost more work to get rid of it than just to keep it. Right. You know? Or, you know, if that's a big deal where you live, then maybe do keep it right. Like some of this is uh, up to the individual I agree with you, yeah. though. I, I don't need 10-year-old utility bills. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's a paperless workflow. And, I mean, just using what we talked about today, you can build a paperless workflow. It's not rocket science. The apps are easier than ever. And uh, if you want some help, I've got seven hours of video to help you along the way. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah. that's what you get. Yeah. No, it's it's a good thing. It is a good thing. Uh how about we we take our last break and then I want to hear a little bit about the workflow to create the field guide. Let's do it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to indeed.com slash MPU and get a free $75 credit to boost your job post. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and businesses across the globe are being challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you a full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visited Indeed each month, according to Comscore. Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash MPU. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now, Indeed.com slash MPU. This offer is valid through December 31. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of this show and all of FM. So take us behind the scenes a little bit of, of what went into this. You you gave us some of the the time and the, the numbers at the top, but this seems like a massive project to sit down and think about. 
Yeah, they all are, honestly. But I've been wanting to come back to paperless uh, because, you know, my own paperless workflow has changed over the years. And I also, with the new platform, I knew that if I had more time to give to the topic, I could do a better job of it. So the first step for me is just kind of like thinking through, you know, what's involved with making a new field guide. And it usually starts for me in my note. You know, I'll just write the word paperless down and then start adding to it over time with ideas and concepts that I would like to see in a field guide. You know, I, I look at myself as the customer, you know, what would I want covered in something like this? And I talked on our show about cooking ideas in the past, but really so much of the things I do like this are a cooking idea style project. Like I have like two or, well, I have two and a half other field guides right now in my node that. I'm working on the same way. I mean, I'm always working on something. And uh, so I'll jump into my node over a while. I mean, honestly, probably about a year ago is when I started working on this project because that's when the my node file started, although the production didn't really start until six months later. And that's just kind of the way I work. And I slowly plot along. And every time I open up my node, I have a new idea or I see a new way to connect things. And I just work very visually in my node for a long time, getting it going. And then once I've got kind of an outline in my head, then I start kind of researching like, okay, if I'm going to cover scanners, what scanner can I recommend? And and I don't make these field guides with the idea of saying, here's a good one and here's the bad ones. I just want, if you're reading or watching my videos, I just want to give you the stuff that I think is useful, you know? Um, if I get a scanner and it's garbage, I'm not going to go and spend five pages or five minutes of video telling you why it's bad. I'm just not going to include it. Right. And, um, so I start the research and so buying apps, you know, buying scanners, trying different things out and coming up with the actual content that I think is useful. And then that evolves into outlines for these individual videos. I don't actually script the videos. Every time I script a video, the actual product doesn't sound good. I mean, I feel like the videos are not as good quality when I read a script. Hmm. Um, but they're outlined and they're rehearsed and I do a lot on them. But eventually I get to the point where I start doing production on it. And um, I have helpers now. Um, I, I used to do it all myself, but I've got a um, JF Brissett who's been a guest on the show. He's my primary kind of production guy. And um, him and I talk through what is the entry card and the exit card going to be for the videos? Like in this one, there's a new animation in Keynote that I really like. It's like a kind of an organic drawing animation. And I felt like it really fit for paperless. But the downside was I had to render in Keynote. So for each of the 95 videos, I had to shoot a screencast of Keynote animating the opening. Yeah. And then put that in like historically the way I do it is I make like a background and then I use the text features of ScreenFlow. So I just type in text and it's done. This adds additional time. But for this one, I felt like they really made sense to do it that way. So, so JF and I kind of work out those production issues at the beginning and we come up with a template screencast. So like a lot of the like stuff we do repeatedly is covered in the template. And then I just start shooting video and for almost everything I do anymore, there's a combination of shooting video on the Mac versus shooting video on mobile devices. And I do most of the Mac stuff in ScreenFlow, and I do all the mobile stuff in QuickTime. 
uh, ScreenFlow has a quick t- a, uh, a, the ability to record directly with iPhone and iPad, but it's inconsistent. And in the past, yeah, and once you start recording these, like you're looking at the device. So if I'm, I record 15 minutes on the iPad and I look up and it stopped recording two minutes in, I want to throw my iPad through the window, you know? So I just record them on QuickTime. It's rock solid. And then I import the QuickTime video into ScreenFlow and edit it in there. That was a lot. You with me so far? Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of keeping up with it. Um, I do like the the trick, if you will, of rendering something in Keynote and then having that as a video. I think a lot of people maybe skip over the fact that you can export your Keynote as an actual, like an actual video, like QuickTime file, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Although that's not what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I um I use ScreenFlow to record the keynote and I kind of perform the keynote with the mic on. And that way I can control the timing of the animations and the slide moves. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And then like it for like, like those opening card slides, if there wasn't any other keynote work in those videos, I would record those in batches and then I would have them for, as I would go through and make the videos. Okay. And, um, one thing I did in this one that I've never done before is I added animation and that is like a whole discussion. So I think maybe we'll leave that for the more power users because it's really kind of irrelevant, but it's kind of a funny story. Um, but if you watch one of the very first videos, there is the premiere of the stick Sparky figure. Yes. <laughs> I love stick Sparky. Um, so anyway, uh, so I go through and I start recording and I do all the edits and, kind of try and get it as clean as I can. And then I send them off to JF who he, he checks them for content. JF's a really smart guy and he checks them for content. He, he is a, he's a great editor cause he has, he's, he's friendly enough to deliver the message in a nice way, but brutal enough to tell me when I'm not doing it right. So, <laughs> uh, you know, um, so it works great. And he's also an audio wizard. So a lot of times he remasters the audio to make sure it's just, you know, just right. And um, so, you know, he kind of works on it. Then it comes back to me and I do final edits on it. And that's kind of the the system. And then from there, we, uh, I export, I render it and then, you know, start building the course out. I use Teachable as the platform for that. And, I've got one other person who helps me, Leilani. She's kind of my personal assistant, and she um, she helps me kind of get everything in Teachable. And um, when I get the transcripts, I get everything transcribed, and she helps me proof the transcripts, and she kind of assembles that stuff in the Teachable course. So when you as the the user go in the course, you everything's laid out really nice for you. And um, and the whole thing on the back end is kind of run with an Airtable database that is shared between myself, JF and Leilani. And, you know, we have all different ways to slice and dice the table to show who's responsible for whatever is going on with what, and you know, what the general status of everything is. And we just keep working until Airtable says we're done with everything. (laughs) And then you, uh, you pick a day and ship it. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting more sophisticated on the marketing end of it. Um, I switched my mailing list to ConvertKit several years ago. And if you're somebody who th- sells things on the internet, I, I recommend it. I should put like an affiliate link in the show notes or something because it's really expensive <laughs> if you can buy it. But the um, 
But it's really nice because it allows me to kind of like target the emails. Like if you buy it, like for several of my field guides, like just last year I did updates, free updates to shortcuts and to keyboard maestro. And I wanted to send an email out to the people who bought them already. I don't want to send an email saying, hey, I updated it. Now you can buy the course with the updated material. I just wanted to tell the people that bought it already, hey, I updated it and here you go. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to bug them with like trying to sell it to them because they already bought it. And like with with um, ConvertKit, I can track that so I can um, send people who bought the thing one message to people who didn't buy it, a different message. But I put that into the system now and you know, so I, I'm not like a marketing whiz. I still haven't really figured it all out, but I, I've, I think I've made a pretty good exper- uh, experience for the customers. And, um, and that, that all that happens at the end too. Um, but you know, it's, it's quite a process really from inception to, to release. But, you know, I, I just tell my wife, I said, this is like one of the proudest things of my life. Like at some point I'm going to be, old and drooling on myself and I'm going to look back and be really happy that I made these things. Mm-hmm. And in that case, your kids will be glad that all of your documents are neatly organized for them to find. Yeah. They're not in a garage in a box. <laughs> <laughs> that worries me. I know it's in the past, but man, that, mm. well, I mean, that was kind of their generation. That's how they did it. Well, well, the other thing that's funny is there weren't that many documents, you know, True. <laughs> they got so much less paper back then than we do now. Yeah. Well, again, congratulations on this. Uh, if you're out there listening, you should go check this out. It's really informative, and I think people are really going to like it. Thanks, Stephen. And uh, check it out, everybody. I'm real proud of it. You can go to learn.maxparky.com and check it out. Thanks to our sponsors today, and that is our friends over at 1Password, Smile, Microsoft, and Indeed. We are the Mac Power users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com and uh, we'll see you next time.